I'm Laura Wenis, and this is Fifth and Mission. Imagine having the budget for a luxury apartment in San Francisco. You find a place you like in a brand new glass tower, a place with top-of-the-line amenities, concierge service, maybe a nice view. Now imagine a different perspective. Picture yourself living in a studio in the Tenderloin with your partner and three kids, and then learning you've won the housing lottery and can move into a one-bedroom apartment in that same luxury tower at an affordable rent. Both of these move-in stories were true at 33 Tehama, a new building in a rapidly growing part of Soma that realtors called the East Cut. When it was completed in 2018, it brought hundreds of units of housing to the city, a good chunk of them affordable, in a relatively safe and clean neighborhood. Then last year, things started to go wrong. A huge water pipe burst near the top of the building and flooded it. Things got soaked. Elevators and electrical systems were damaged. The carpets became a swamp. We had thousands of gallons of water pour down through the building. The walls are, you know, wet where the elevators are. Like, that's like going to produce mold. The property management company, which is also the developer that built 33 Tehama, had a huge repair job on its hands. The whole building was rendered unlivable, and everyone had to evacuate. The company told tenants they'd be working on it and paid for hotel stays and other expenses in the interim. But that wasn't the end of it. A few months later, there was another pipe burst. And now there was no telling when the tenants might be able to come back. Residents started getting frustrated. Some say they couldn't get their belongings from a building that would now be out of commission indefinitely. A few of them sued. Saba Mirza and her husband Rohan left their home at 33 Tahama in San Francisco to go grocery shopping. But four months later, the couple still haven't returned home. At least 400 tenants were displaced. Now, more than 50 of them have filed a lawsuit against the property's management company, Heinz. The lawsuits are ongoing, and the management company denies the allegations. And more than a year after tenants were moved out, there's still uncertainty about a return date. While it's extraordinary, the predicament that 33 Tahama residents are facing is also emblematic of some very San Franciscan housing problems. Even with hundreds of new units and dozens of affordable ones, prices are high here and the competition for low-cost units is fierce. Repairs and construction are taking a long time. And though in this case wealthy and working-class tenants alike have been displaced, relocation is more complex for a low-income family of five than a couple that can afford to pay, say, $5,000 a month in rent. Chronicle reporter Rachel Swan has been digging into that contrast and is here to explain what the 33 Tahama meltdown says about San Francisco's housing crisis. Rachel, thanks for talking with me. Thanks, Laura. I'm excited to be here. Can we start by talking about why 33 Tahama matters to the city and to the neighborhood that it's in? What is the deal with this building? Yeah, so 33 Tahama is one of those giant towers in Soma, kind of part of that skyline that you first see when you come into the city, perhaps on a beautiful Trans Bay bus. Would would people recognize it who who ride past it frequently? Like what does it look like? Is it distinctive? It's like a giant rectangle. It's very very tall. It's got like 35 floors, then a rooftop and, you know, very big, kind of looming over an alleyway and also reflective. It's kind of beautiful. It The surface of the building is just covered with windows. You know, it's got this kind of 
as we would say, a glass skin, you know, and it reflects the, <laughs> it reflects the rest of the skyline, which is kind of awesome in the original sense of the world. It's kind of enthralling if you look up at it and you kind of see this reflective surface. So it's important in the sense that, you know, it's one of the key pieces of a neighborhood that's sort of starting to form called the East Cut that's right around the Trans Bay Center. They're building a lot of, you know, offices and, and dense housing there. And it's important also to the city because it provides 400 units of housing, mostly market rate and extremely, I mean, what we would call luxury, some penthouses, extremely expensive housing, but also a fair amount of below market rate housing, which the city really desperately needs. So these folks move into this huge, luxurious, glass-skinned tower, and then it starts flooding. What happened? So in 2022, a water main in the building burst twice, and this caused water to basically, in my understanding, damage every floor in the building, you know? So it trickled down, soaked all the carpets, seeped into the apartments, you know, ruined the elevators, basically made the building completely uninhabitable and everybody had to evacuate. So I don't think we're quite clear, at least the public isn't quite clear on what caused this, but it's still undergoing repairs a year late, more than a year later. So we're talking about an evacuation here, similar to kind of a natural disaster situation, it sounds like, because this is not some quiet little leak in the background. This is like stuff got flooded. What happened to these tenants? They were basically just told, like, grab your stuff and go? Yeah. I mean, people were saying it was like a river, you know, when water was coming down the stairways. So Ew. people just could not live in their apartments. And most of them wound up that night in hotel rooms. So the company that manages this building, it's called Heinz, and their name is going to come up a lot because they're the point of contact for the tenants. And the, the tenants have now sued Heinz. I think more than one lawsuit is ongoing. And Correct. they say that the company, basically, it sounds like they're alleging mismanagement of this kind of unforeseen crisis of like plumbing crisis. And they're saying things like they, you know, they didn't let people go back inside. They paid for hotels, but then they weren't clear about how long it was going to take to fix all of this stuff. What are what are the concerns right now that tenants have when it comes to building management? Yeah, so the lawsuit is for, I mean, a variety of things, negligence, breach of contract, nuisance. They're saying everything was very hasty, that the property managed company, you know, kind of cleared everybody out. People couldn't get access to their stuff. And the timelines to this day have been just extremely unclear. You know, when I talked to residents last year, a big concern was that they weren't sure if they were going to be compensated for, you know, having to live in hotel rooms and basically eat DoorDash all the time. You know, I mean, it was a huge expense for a lot of, well, 
obviously it was a huge expense for a lot of them. My understanding from talking to them recently was Heinz eventually made good on everything and had given people uh, meal stipends and, you know, compensated for their hotel rooms. But it was kind of a slog getting that compensation. And some people said they were going, you know, running up credit card debt during that period. So basically, you know, they they all like had wanted to live in this building. It's a very attractive building. It offers a lot of amenities. And this was just kind of whiplash for everyone. And, you know, to this day, like a lot of residents are just extremely angry about just being thrown into uncertainty and not having a place to live. Especially when they've paid so much. But not every tenant is in that situation. 33 Tahama also has a handful of below-market rate units for lower-income tenants. Rachel talked to one of them, and we'll hear his story after a break. You're listening to Fifth and Mission. You can support the newsroom that creates this podcast by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. Rachel, you talked to one resident of 33 Tahama, Musa Mitar, an immigrant from Yemen living with his wife and three kids. He got his below market rate unit there through the housing lottery, which meant moving from the Tenderloin to a relatively nice part of Soma. For people who are paying in the neighborhood of $5,000 a month in rent and you can put expenses on credit cards, being evacuated like this is a very different experience than if you're a lower income family. So how did these flooding incidents affect Musa? Yeah, I mean, Musa, it, it's interesting. They were living in this Tenderloin studio right before they kind of won this city housing lottery and got this one bedroom in Tahama. So it really was, I mean, even though the buildings are technically not that far apart, you know, it really is a world away to move from this studio where you're worried about needles being piled outside your doorway to this luxury apartment building in kind of the real gentrifying part of the downtown. So, and Musa's an interesting guy. He works as a paratransit driver and janitor. You know, he works very hard. He is an immigrant. When the flooding happened, his family, like the other residents, they wound up in a hotel, which they said they were compensated for. And actually they wound up in a, in a Hilton hotel. So like luxury building, luxury hotel. But I mean, it's still hard with five people. They had fold out beds from the hotel. They had to, you know, like kind of like line the floor with all these fold out beds. They were a little chagrined that they couldn't cook, you know? Yeah. So they had to order out all the time. I mean, I think it eventually, like the situation with not having a kitchen and just having, you know, this this kind of big family. I mean, eventually Musa said he just couldn't stay in the hotel. He also, you know, they have to get their kids to school every day, you know, so they wound up moving back to the Tenderloin. Well, how did that happen? So his father was living in a studio in the Tenderloin and his father actually went back to Yemen and so the family took over the father's studio in the Tenderloin. But, but it that's did a studio. Strike- that's five yeah. people in a studio. My yeah. God. Yeah. And it, it did strike me, you know, wherever they're living, I will say they've had to kind of like cram in and make do and be creative and, you know, use bunk beds and 
creative use of space, you know? So they're, they're used to that part of it, but it, it did strike me, you know, like a big concern for Musa, he's told me, is, is the safety of the neighborhood because his kids, they ride scooters, they walk around, you know, and the tenderloin, you know, it's, it's not as safe. There's, you know, there's a lot more drug use, obviously. <laughs> so yeah, it was just interesting, you know, having to, having to go from one world to another, even though as is like just so much the story of San Francisco, they're pretty much abut each other. <laughs> yeah. 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 His family was staying in his dad's studio in the Tenderloin for a while. Then they moved again. Where to and how? So then they moved to Trinity Place on Mid-Market, which is interesting because this is more kind of in the world of 33 Tahama. I mean, not not quite as splashy, I, I guess I would say, but, you know, they're in a two-bedroom now. I went in, it's very clean, very sparsely furnished, you know, they got their little scooters in the hallway. I guess that's their kind of like mode of transportation. So... Yeah, it is, you know, kind of a nice apartment. Um, They're paying the same rent. They're paying about a little under $1,500 in rent because of the city below market rate stipend. So the deal they have with Heinz is that they're paying the same rent and um, the same for utilities and Heinz kind of covers the rest. Hmm. They cannot live there indefinitely. They are expecting, hopefully, to return to 33 Tahama, where they will return to a one-bedroom. So, you know, they've been enjoying, I guess, the extra space, they told me. But again, they have this concern because mid-market, it's, just, it's not Soma. <laughs> it's it's still got a lot of Yeah, it's still got a lot of drug use. And that that's just big for Musa and his wife. You know, they're like big on making sure their kids are safe. Yeah, understandably. What is the timeline now? You write about Musa getting an email from Heinz saying basically, we're on track, but not on track to what by when? It didn't seem, yeah. it seemed a little light on the specifics. So what do we know at this point? What does Musa know? Yeah, it was extremely cryptic, I guess I would say. There was no... Heinz has said that they're going to start moving people in by the end of the year, but they told me they still have quite a bit of repair work left to do. You know, they're actually fixing the pipes in each unit. They've had to fix all of their four elevators. They have to fix like the internet cabling and wiring. So they're, they're still doing repairs. I went by the building the other day. It's empty. The door is boarded up. You know, there's, it's, it's kind of ghostly a bit, you know, it's just this big kind of beautiful dark blue, like ghostly building in Soma. So they have optimistically said, Hey, we're going to try to move people in by the end of the year. Some of the tenants have grown impatient and kind of have this impression of, oh, we've heard that before. And I would say Musa still seems hopeful. You know, I mean, he'd like to go back. What does this say about 
housing in San Francisco, luxury buildings in San Francisco, the promise of dense, beautiful, new, shiny housing, and the promise of below market rate housing. Well, you know, it's interesting, Laura. I guess one thing that it showed me was that you can win the lottery, the housing lottery in San Francisco, and you may still be struggling, you know. My understanding is there's fewer than 30,000 units available for below market rate, but almost four times that many people, 115,000 are competing. It's very hard to get a below market rate unit. You, you have to have quite a bit of luck. You can't just trade up, you know? I mean, Musa and his family, when they had moved into 33 Tahama, their youngest was an infant. And as their youngest grew a little older, they they approached the the building management and said, "Hey, we would we would really like to try to get a two bedroom." They would have to go back through the lottery system all over again, you know, which which they've said they are trying, you know, to their credit, they they put in an application, but it's not guaranteed. So you know, there's like kind of a lack of flexibility. They've still had to, you know, cram everyone in a one bedroom, people sleeping in the living room. You know, they use bunk beds like many families, but they kind of had to cram like a bunk bed into what was like a laundry closet. So, you know, the struggle, the struggle doesn't end just with winning this lottery. I will say on the on the other on the other hand, you know, I mean, 33 Tahama is providing dense housing, which is which is important. I mean, this is this is a city that that really has suffered from a housing shortage. So, a, a lot of people have pointed that out that having those 400 units will be will be really important to San Francisco. To me, the the other big takeaway was just that this is such a kind of a San Francisco story in a way where you have, you know, downtown San Francisco, like kind of the essence of it is, is that you have the extreme rich and the extreme poor just like side by side. And it was just interesting to see that brought to life in this building, you know? Yeah. Well, Rachel, thank you. Thank you so much. Rachel Swan is a breaking news and enterprise reporter. Find her coverage at sfchronicle.com. Thanks to Sarah Feldberg for editing this episode, Gary Baca for mixing the audio, and thanks to you for listening. <laughs>